Good evening and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight we've got Ricky Hyatt, Steve Rutter, little Tommy White, Elder Pryor, and I'm there as well. So sit back, enjoy, let's have a good old bit of football banter. And good evening everybody and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. And as you can already hear, I'll start with my guest this evening with Mr. Aidy Hopper. How you doing, Aid? Yeah, all right, old dog. All right. Fair to average. <clears throat> Ricky Hyatt's here. How you doing, Rick? Ah, not so bad, Flower. Not so bad. Excellent. We have Tommy White, who joins us this week. How you doing, Tommy? It's the first time Evening. we've seen you since episode 99. 99, I know. I was just thinking that, yeah, just prior to a holiday. Yeah, I'm, I'm rejuvenated following a holiday. So, uh, even guys, even listeners... And also we have this week, uh, fresh from a, well, three in a row now for Mr. Steve Rutter. How are you doing, Steve? I'm all right, thank you. That's the, that's the most I've ever managed, I think, three in a row when I was playing or doing this. Patrick Ball? <laughs> I'd like to think so. <laughs> Patrick Ball for you. On, uh, you're right here on Three Valleys Radio. So, of course, we'll start, as we always do, um, with a little bit of Yeovil chat. Um, Steve, I want to start with you first of all, because... A few weeks ago, well, probably a few months ago now, um, just as the season finished, we were talking at the sort of signings that Yeovil will potentially look to make in the summer, whereas if they sign National League players, then they can um, have the ambition to be in the National League, whereas if they sign National League South players, then they might well end up in that division. But what all this is pointing towards is that they've signed... Uh, Jake Wannell from Taunton Town, who by all accounts has had a pretty good season. Taunton had, I think they kept 16 clean sheets last season or something like that. Um, but mixed in with the players that they've signed in like, the likes of Reese Murphy and uh, Jake Hyde, this might be pretty good business um, shopping locally as well. What have you made of it? Yeah, well, I think they've got to balance the books, haven't you, ultimately? Um, and if you're taking people out of the Football League, 32 years of age with lots of experience and lots of goals you're probably paying a bit of a premium um, and you've got to balance the books off and if he's got you know a, a steady reputation at this level and the level just below then obviously um, it you know it makes good sense if he's local to get him in so um, yeah obviously Taunton's loss will hopefully be Yeovil's gain. What do you think, Tommy, when it comes to the the level that Yeovil find themselves in now, is it important to make sure that they get a little bit of a mixture of um, higher level quality as well as quality for that division that they're in? Yeah, I think, um, you know, initially, if, if I'm being 100% truthful, you, it's a little bit disappointing when you see them signing players of, of that ability or that, so say, uh, standard. But like you said, we've got to be realistic. And as Steve's pointed out, um, you know, they've got books to balance. And if you've got players on high-ish salaries, then you need a few cheaper, more local lads to, to balance the books up. Now, it, it might be that he's promising and, you know, um, is, is better than what we might think he is from 
not knowing too much about him. Um, but yeah, like I said, he's been part of a team that have kept a few clean sheets. Um, there are definitely always a few rough diamonds in, in some of these lower leagues. Um, I don't know who's been doing the scouting or who's doing the recommendations, but hopefully um, the boss knows, the manager knows what he's doing with some of the players that he's bringing in. Rick, I'll throw it across to you because we've been talking about um, the the recruitment that's likely to happen this summer. And they've also brought in Lewis Williams as well, who's had experience at Tiverton Town, so albeit um, lower again. But more importantly, they're bringing in players with a local connection and also uh, broadens the squad as well. It almost seems like they're going to a plan and there's a bit of thought behind it because if you get... Like Steve said, if you get that combination, if you, there's no point having a load of older players that are going to use all the budget for them. And there's no point getting a load of younger players who haven't played at a higher level and aren't experienced enough to get up. So if you get a mixture of the two, hopefully it will help balance the books and the younger players can learn from the more experienced players. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's a, it's a formula for success. But the most important thing is it's going to be players that the manager wants for a change. So the uh, but we'll stop with him at the end of the day. If he's got the players in that he wants and he can't get a tune out of them, then uh, there's not an awful lot more that Martin Hellier could do, really, is it? So he's being guided by Mark Cooper and uh, hopefully it's the players he wants and he can get a bit of chemistry going between them and fresh legs combined with a bit of a, a bit of experience. And I uh, don't know about everyone else, but I can't wait for the season to start now. I think it's been that way for a couple of weeks, ever since Martin's taken over. There's been a real appetite for the season to get underway. So, it, it, yeah, it looked good. It's boding well for the future, shall we say. Yeah, definitely. AD, I'll, I'll bring you in next because as we talk about the incomings, but there is still outgoings that are going to happen throughout the summer as well, regardless of the retained list. And the latest one, possibly a bit of surprise maybe, that Jamie Record has, has left the club. And do you think it's just a case of still sort of trying to fine-tune the squad going into... Um, when the fixtures are announced for those first couple of games? I think it's more likely to be um, budget restrictions. And whilst whilst we know that um, Martin Helly has been really good with his approach to the whole project, um, you know, he's, he's not going to just throw money at it willy-nilly um, in the hope that it'll work. It, as Rick said, you know, there's definitely a little bit of thought going into all this. So maybe, maybe that's a, a budget restriction one where... You know, he wants more money than he's going to be able to get in in, in National League South. Steve, just throwing it back to you, when it comes to, I don't know how heavily involved you've ever been with the recruitment side of things, if you've ever been asked for your opinion or you've sort of chatted with whoever your manager is at that point, but are those conversations quite common in looking at your recruitment process and saying, well, we want X, Y and Z, but we want to mix it with a little bit of youth and experience, or is it just a case of, whatever's available and you hope that that obviously works well it depends where you are in the pecking order if i'm honest if if you're at the top you get the first pick and if you you know if you're at the bottom you get what's left and then you you sort of have a plan about what you'd like out of what's left i mean the, the jamie record one's interesting because and i'm sure tom's been in change rooms it's, it's just the same anywhere at any level there will be players that the club wanted to keep that will want to move on for various reasons. So whether or not the club could afford to keep him or not, you know, will be in irrelevance if he wants to move on and, and he gets an offer somewhere else that suits. Um, you know, there's also players that you've got that you don't want to keep that you can't get off the books. And it's a constant balancing act. Um, 
you know, and, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the chemistry right, aren't you? You're trying to get leaders in the changing room. You're trying to get people that give you a bit of a bit of backbone. Um, you've got the financial considerations about, you know, if you pay, like we said earlier, a couple of people top dollar, then you've got to balance it off, get a few squad players in on lesser money. Um, and you've also got to be thinking about, you know, when I came down here, um, I came from Wealdstone, who were in the National League at the time, and, and dropped down into the Ryman League. But the nucleus of the side here was local boys, people like Dave Walter, Neil Coates, people along that sort of line. And Brian Hall brought in some players to supplement that. So it, it's an ongoing problem, recruitment, because as much as you're trying to build your squad, other people are trying to nick your players to build their squads. Um, and a lot of it does come down to money. And then after that, it's down to the you know the project that you can sell the players. Um, and hopefully at the moment, you have got quite a good project to sell at the, the level they're at. Tommy, is it also a bit of an eye op- an eye opener? Maybe that's the wrong expression, but in terms of when a retained list is announced, it's not a hundred percent confirmed that whoever's on that retained list necessarily stays in the summer. It just means they possibly might not be out of contract, and then a deal might still be done in the summer. So you might be excited that somebody's on the list, but you might still end up losing them. Yeah, that's always a possibility. Obviously, you know, because um, you got. The players' thought process as well is, you know, as, as we sort of touched on a little bit, but does he want to play at this level? Is he happy at this stage of his career to um, sacrifice a higher level to, to stay with the club? Um, obviously, now, you know, the better players, you'll hope, will do that for a season, or possibly two, hopefully not. Um, so, yeah, there's it's a lot more than, you know, what the manager wants or what the chairman wants. It's the players' um, thought process is going to come into it because he's... Like I said, does he feel at this stage of his career, depending on his age, um, if he wants to spend the season at this level? Um, and again, you know, players, the better players are probably always being watched, let's be honest. Nowadays, all the best players are being watched. Um, but touching on um, what players are bringing in as well, as, as stupid as it sounds, it's, it's kind of a bit like when you do your fantasy football at the start of a season. You know, you've got the players you definitely, definitely want to keep. And then you build around that. Um, you know, you're scrambling around with your two pound, two million left to buy a player from West Brom or whatever in your fantasy league. It, it can be a bit like that for managers. You know, they've got to try and fill holes. They need a squad. They don't just need to start an eleven. They need a squad of players. Um, and sometimes, like you said, you've got to bring a few in that probably aren't first pick. Um, but hopefully, you, you can rely on them to do a job if when called upon. It must be a bit difficult as well for the players, Dave, because. Presumably, you know, we're living in pretty difficult times from a point of view of inflation and everything else. And, and if you've got a contract with a club, you're going to want to hang on to that contract. Um, and, you know, at this time of the season, it's, it must be a bit nerve-wracking as to whether you are going to make it to uh, to the next season and stay on or whether you're going to get uh, sold on or even, you know, your contract paid up. So from a point of view of, of, of you know, living, these guys have got families, it must, it must be a... A difficult time until the season gets really going, and you know you're well established in the side. Yeah, and Rick, that goes to goes with the um, experienced players that have have signed on, and we hope will will stay on. So I'm thinking Josh Daunton, Matty Worthington. We're excited that they're on the retained list, and not that I want this to happen, but who's to say that a bid won't come in from still in the summer? And it's still you've just got to hope that you've got the squad that you want when that window shuts. Yeah. Definitely, and you'd, you'd think certainly with those two two boys that you mentioned, they would be players that would help attract other players to the club because they want to be playing with decent 
if you if you've got those players that have a decent ability still on the books, it, it can't help but attract people to the club. Whereas if everybody went and you've got a blank sheet, then uh, that's a bit of a nightmare, I would imagine. Yeah, just on that, just on that. Sorry, Tommy, have you ever joined a football club based on who's there player-wise or people that you know rather than the um, the club stature itself? Maybe that's a bit horrible a question for you to answer. You don't have no, to answer no, that, no. but does that no, come no. into consideration? Um, to, to be honest, I wasn't uh, in a position to be fussy enough. When um, when I left Bristol Rovers, I was injured. <laughs> I, was, I was led out the garden path by an agent to, to, to think I was going somewhere and I would have come back from holiday uh, at the end of June, early July, ready to sign somewhere and that didn't materialise. And then um, obviously I was uh, running in a local park trying to just keep myself fit. Uh, and then obviously I joined Yeovil. Um, so to be honest, for me it wasn't, but I could definitely guarantee you that players who are sought after, um, no matter what level, it will have a bearing on the mind because you want to look at you know what the club's history is what they how they can perform in the league that they're in and do they have a chance because footballers are winners majority they want to win things they, they don't want to join teams just for the sake of it you know they, they at the start of a season there's probably i don't know in some divisions 10 11 12 teams realistically think they can win the league and some others the rest of them are probably hoping they can have a good season and possibly hit playoffs or whatever depending on what league they're in so but i think yeah you would you would look at that um and think to yourself well you know, I know them, they're a decent standard of players, so hopefully I can add a bit more to it, then then we would have a chance. So yeah, I think they would they would definitely be looking at it. But again, some of the lesser players that you will have signed over the last few days, probably not so much. They're seeing it as wow, you know, I'm at a big club, um, compared to what they've been at in the past. Um, you know, and um one of the lads said he used to was on the terraces. Um, so it'd be over the moon to be playing on that pitch in front of those fans. Um and it's it's a huge step up and a um, he, he probably not so fussy about who else is there. He's just over the moon to be there, which on paper, hopefully, is, is a good thing because you'd like to think he's going to work his socks off for the club. Steve, can I ask you a question? Well, and, and you, Tom, really. Um, just just how important... I know it sounds like an obvious question and an obvious answer, but how how important is it to, to kick off a, um, a relegation season, i.e. when you're into the, the new, new um, league, with a win and, and with a two or three wins and really get off on a, on a good note. Do you want to go, Steve? Uh, um, yeah. Listen, everybody would like to get off on a, on a, a winning start, wouldn't they? Because it just engenders a sense of positivity in that. But the reality is, it, you know, it's an old cliche, but it isn't where you start, it's where you finish. Um, and if you were to lose their first four games and win the league at the end of the season, I think everybody would take that. What it does, obviously, it puts a bit of a dampener, the... the there's a cloud descends around the club and, and it's harder then to, to get people motivated. It's harder to get people to see the positives. But if you make a lot of changes the way you will have, then you know, you're going to have to expect, even with a pre-season, that if you make a massive overhaul to your squad, it takes time for those players to bed down. Um, but, you know, it might not be until October, November you see the best of them, but once they hit momentum, then you'd hope that they'll just keep going and they'll steamroll the teams in this league. Tom, have you ever been in that situation? Um, not not following a rele- I've never been relegated. Um, luckily, relegated to the subs bench, but never uh, during a during a season uh, or or at the end of the season. So, but yeah, I think it's, it's it's common sense would tell you that obviously, like Steve said, every team wants to start off well. But I think in particular, you know, the situation you will find themselves in, where they're you know definitely 
one of the biggest clubs in that division and you know going back not so long ago they were in the championship is it's pretty mental really that we're having this conversation but um yeah they're they're there's going to be a lot of hype and obviously hopefully if it's the players that they do sign um do have a good pre-season and things i think steve's bang on it's going to take them time um how much time only time will tell so it's it's a hard one because you want them to hit the ground running you you hope they will but you never know like the pace of the game depending on how they're shutting down like nowadays with how different teams shut down and blocks and things like that is how much energy you're using up in the first hour first half 65 minutes um and how players are going to cope with that how are you going to cope with the injuries training full-time and stuff so it's, it's a lot to weigh up so you know i think steve's right was we hope that it doesn't take to october to see the best of them um that could be the could be the realistic outcome. As the you know the the, the so-called uh, big guns in the league uh, would appear, we are. Um, I'll be likely to get teams, you know, really pulling out all the socks. or we've beaten you over and take their scalp. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You do every every no matter what league you're in, you look at the the big boys in your division and you relish that uh, fixture, whether it's the stadium or the crowd or it's on TV, or, you know, the better players, the name players, the famous players, the players who have been higher levels, who have come down, you know, you do step up and you do want to prove to them that you're capable or as good or, or got potential or whatever. So 100% it's going to have a huge bearing that teams are going to be up for coming to Jewish Park, 100%. How and important... Oh, go on, Steve. Oh, sorry, no, I was just going to say, I mean, that's... The similarity for, for AD, like when Manchester United were at the top of their game, you know, people said you can only play for Man United if you can handle the pressure. Yeah. And at the, at the level they're at, the Yeovil lad's going to have to deal with that because, uh, you know, Tom's spot on there, that everybody's going to come and play Yeovil. They'll play him twice a season. And for those two games, they'll be able to find an extra yard of pace, you know, make an extra tackle. The Yeovil lad's going to play for Yeovil every week of the season and they've got to produce that week in, week out and deal with the pressure that will come with probably being automatic promotion favourites. You know, and that's when, if you lose a couple, you need real good characters in the changing room to just drag the lads through. Because ultimately, it, they'll be judged at the end of the season. You know, So they're going to have to accept that they're going to get a few difficult results along the way and show the character to deal with it and just keep moving on. Just how important is, if it is indeed important at all, how the fixtures fall, Rick? Because we we hear a lot about momentum in football, but... Do you think it makes a difference on where you play certain teams or are you a believer of everyone plays everyone anyway so it doesn't matter or do you think there is some sort of psychological aspect to it? Coming into a new division, you're not going to know 100% who the easier, for want of a better term, fixtures are until the season's got underway. But you'd want an easy, easier start as possible. Get that first win under your belt. Hopefully get two or three, get momentum. I think especially... With the situation that you're over in this season, I think momentum's going to be massive. And you don't want that pressure of, of getting behind the eight ball early on. You know, a draw and a defeat, a couple draws and a defeat, you know, in the first few games. All of a sudden, you're looking at the league table. And I know it's only three games or whatever, but you don't want to be looking at the bottom of it, do you? Everybody wants to get off to a start. And I think with it being everything being nice, new and shiny at Yeovil, I think a, a good start would be massive. Well, talking of nice, new and shiny, that uh, gives us a good segue, Rick. It's a nice one because the um, hey, ADL, I'll come to you because the performance centre. Well, I'm not nice. Um, and what, what, what was the expression? 
It's not nice new or shiny. Yeah, please. no, I'm certainly not nice or shiny. <laughs> That's not for me to say, mate. That's no. not for me to say. I'll let the listeners have their own opinion of that. Yeah, carry on, but, carry on. Um, the Performance Centre was announced by the club, which is effectively their new rebranding of um, Youth Development Centre at the club. And... Um, and Three Valleys Radio, very own uh, Roy O'Brien as well, is is involved with that. Have you have you had an opportunity to speak to to Roy yet? But regardless whether you have or you haven't, it's still an encouraging uh, sign for Yeovil that they're trying to get the off the field right as much as they are on the field. Yeah, well, as it happens, quite by coincidence, I had a uh, did an interview this afternoon with um, a gentleman called Jamie Phillip, who is the chief executive of the. Uh, performance center and um, Jamie has come in he's got a lot of experience and his role is basically to sort of mastermind the whole operation but he's also got some some really good people under him Mark Challen has come back to the club to help out uh, he is considered to be the head of development no sorry the head of coaching standards and then we've got the head of the development uh, phases which is Bob Thomas and Bob's been there for a long time now off and on and uh, he's back again and he's very experienced with working with young kids um, and also we've got a gentleman called Ben Jones whose position is ha head of foundation phases whatever that means I don't really know but he's obviously part of the team and finally we've got the little leprechaun himself Roy O'Brien who's going to be coming in to help uh, act as liaison officer and just generally be a you know a positive communications between the parents and the players and the staff. So all of a sudden it looks really positive. And if you look back over the last what five or six years, it's been very stop-start the, the performance centre. We've had uh, Southampton got involved at one point for quite a while, and everybody was full of optimism when Southampton got in. And, and then obviously the uh, they left and then other, other people have got involved. But generally speaking, it's been stop, start, stop, start. It's never been a, a, a positive run of four or five years where uh, there were no changes made and they just plodded on and did the job that they were set out to do. So I'm hopeful that this lot will, will you know, obviously work together and um, come up with the goods because it's not going to take a year to produce three or four players to put into the first team it's going to take a minimum of five years and probably more so you need a steady run so that they can do their job and get the players available well it's important eh, that they actually keep it open i guess i know that's probably quite a cynical thing to say from from well, what yeah, we've seen yeah. previous but like you say this is all well and good but these things take time so you want to hope that by two or three years down the line it doesn't fall by the wayside yeah that's right and you you know you've got to have that that faith uh, apparently they, they've had I think he said 600 applications to be involved in this performance centre, and I think they're going to end up taking 200, um, which is a, a you know a huge amount of, of uh, youngsters wanting to get involved really. But um, you know I, I don't know how good they are. Obviously that's up to them to you know you know find the best ones and, and work with them. But it would be nice to think that we could produce some of our own players. The thing is on that is um, you know depending on what level you will find themselves in as to how many players they'll bring through. Because if, you know, for God forbid, they stay at the level they're at, then it's, it's not going to be too difficult to find players in and around the local area to get into the first team. Whereas if they go up or get a couple of promotions, then obviously it's a, it's a lot higher standard, in which case finding, 
bringing players through for that level will be a lot more difficult. But it seems as though we've got a chairman behind it that really wants oh, this yeah. to work. And, yeah. you know, certainly yeah. Martin Hellyer is, is showing by all his actions that everything he's yeah. doing is, is, is so positive and it's, it's helping to perpetuate this, this great feeling that's around the place. Steve, just how important do you think it is to have people who are connected with the club down the years in these performance centres? Do you think it has, obviously, a positive effect or very much sort of a case of it doesn't really matter too much as long as you've got, obviously, the right people in post? But is there a little bit more of a um, excitement, I guess, that you've got local people involved there as well? Um, I've got to be quite guarded, I think, about what I say, because obviously I have a long-standing involvement with the club and I've been involved in setting up two youth training programmes which they subsequently quashed. Um, sure. The value of it is immense. I mean, I've just got notes here, just made some notes we were talking. Alfie Lloyd, currently at Queen's Park Rangers. Marco Royce, currently at Coventry City. Hong Wan, currently playing for Johor DT in Malaysia. Paulius Golubikas, playing for Lithuania Senior National Team. Joe Tomlinson at Peterborough United. And just a couple of weeks ago, a lad called Tyreek Spencer-Clark signed for Weymouth on a professional contract who was one of our scholars. So, you Oval have had a history of producing elite players through their youth training programmes. You could go right back to Malcolm McPherson, who came to us from Nailsea and then signed for West Ham United for 35 grand. So, you can produce players here. Um, I'm not sure if this is more of a community involvement process than an elite player development process. I think that's the reality. Um, there's a lad, who, a fellow who lives in Yeovil called Antonio Falanga, who's an Italian coach who used to work at Crystal Palace and Charlton. In all my time at the FA, he was the best developer of young players I saw. He came to Yeovil and previously worked here under the last academy programme before they closed it down. Um, and he still lives in Yeovil. So if they want to do it properly and they want the best people to do the job, and the job is about developing local talented players to get in the first team and sell them on, then as good as these people might be, they haven't got the right person doing the job. But it's good to see them investing in it and supporting it because there are talented players in Yeovil that need development. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Great to hear, especially as, like I say, we're, they're putting things in place both on the field and off the field and... Rick, it's weird in a way, isn't it, that suddenly you've got all this excitement because I just want to touch on Mark Robinson very briefly because there was a, a interview with him last week. I don't know if you saw it, but he was saying that commercially they've they've nearly sold all the boxes already and mm -hmm. this is the best that they've best position they've been in commercially for quite some time and it almost doesn't sit with the fact that they've actually been relegated. <laughs> I don't think the relegation comes into it. I think it's more a case of a refreshing the club and the whole place has got optimism, which I think probably would have been there had we had Jovo stayed in the National League. I think the situation would have been the same. I think people have got sick to the back teeth with the way things have been at the club for the last few seasons, and there's it's just optimism because of the because of the uh, management structure that comes in. And I know Martin likes to listen to this, so hopefully he's taken. So note was what Steve said about this Italian chap and get him on board. If we've got that sort of ability in the area, it would be absolutely ridiculous not to uh, not to take advantage of it because with the youth youth side that you think about it, Yeovil was the biggest club in Somerset. That's an awful lot of kids playing football that want somewhere 
that they can use as a stepping stone, whether it be to another club or to, to grow with the club. So the catchment area is massive. And it's just shooting at an open goal, really, not to uh, to take advantage of it. And if you can get the right people in doing it, then so much, so much the better. We've seen how clubs that have reputations for great academies thrive off the back of it, whether it be financially or getting a group of the players to come together. And Yeovil, I mean... You can't really say they're a sleeping giant in the sense that a lot of clubs like to describe themselves as a sleeping giant. But I've always thought that the potential for the club, with the catchment area, with the part of the country that we're in, it's it's always been an untapped resource. And if you get somebody who's finally taken advantage of that, then that that can only be a, a good thing both on and on and off the field. But it, as far as the commercial stuff goes, that's that's down to the the reboot of the club, if you like. Everybody's buying into it. Everyone's enthused with a new broom coming in and actually actually showing an interest in the place for once. And it just shows what could be done, you know, with somebody who's actually putting the money where their mouth is and showing an interest in the club. So, I mean, hopefully, in six months' time, we'll all be sitting back saying, well, that got off to a cracking start and it's not just a false storm. I really hope so. Because yeah, until that said, opening game when we draw yeah. nil-nil at home and then we all go... <laughs> on that sorry go on, tom go on tom no just to say on that um obviously working for james building group or obviously a fair sized company in the area and been to plenty of social dues over years and years and years with the round table and all those types of things the businesses are there in yeovil and they will support the team yeah they just need uh it doesn't even i'm not saying they, they need to win every game but the service and you know the, the togetherness and camaraderie and hospitality needs to be of a standard that people are happy with and they'll keep coming and they will keep spending their money because it can become a social gathering and people you know you have a good time regardless of the football uh, effectively and i think the businesses are in the area um i certainly know quite a few that enjoy going to games um and i think if the price is right and the hospitality is done right good standard of food good level of um hospitality and, and service then they they will keep coming um and that is obviously what the club need to to go forward together and hopefully it can be a, a relationship that they keep um and uh and is worthy of um of what the local businesses uh would be paying for it because um, i'm sure they would be over the moon to to follow you over through over the next few seasons yeah and they they're probably dave to be honest like there's only one game a week up there, or one game a fortnight, so they're not relying on their the catering, the hospitality, making its money just on match day. That's obviously yeah. a big, you know. But actually, like like Tom's just saying, if the service is good and and the investment is going in there, which it clearly is at the moment, and they're they're trying to get the quality of the experience better, then people will go there because people just like to be associated with football for some reason. I don't know why. So if the restaurant up there is good and it's serving good food and it's at the right prices. Then they they can corner the market. Yeah, you have the football scores on, Sky Sports on for all the other yeah. games. You know, I'm not sure how, what leeway they got with kickoff times and things like that, but um, you know, you can keep people in the bar, um, you know, and have incentivize people. You know, do do some stuff. that's I've always thought it like I I enjoy going to football, but I also I like the fans. I like the way the fans sing. I like the camaraderie. You know, I like I like something different. I like a bit of entertainment for the fans at halftime. It doesn't have to be anything special, you know. Even the little things like, um, all right, I'm going to mention it because we've been a few times last season. Me and my partner go to 
Villa quite a few times. And they've got like um, a circle, about the size of a, the centre circle. And they get four fans on in the corner flag. And they put a big circle around the halfway line. And all they've got to do is try and kick the ball. Uh, and if it stops on a certain segment, of, you know, like a bullseye, so different size circles, if it stops on something, they get a prize. It might be a few beers, might be a meal for Tommy, two. did I see someone did that and it went viral and you got it absolutely was, spot on? <laughs> that was, oh, that was I don't know. in America. Somebody did it from inside the penalty area, just punted, yeah. punted the ball and it, it actually stopped on the... I'm not sure if it's a San Jose Earthquakes or LA Galaxy. It's one of the uh, two. Okay. And it actually yeah. finished on the centre spot. Yeah, wow. check it out, Tommy. It's pretty impressive. That's what I mean. Just, just little things like that. It just, you know, fans enjoy it. It, it passes the time by, and fans get involved. Like half the time at Villa Park, they've had the sprinklers out, and they slip over every time because they've got shoes on. It's so well, wet. Just done that, and... Tommy. I think Martin Hellier did announce a couple of weeks ago that they are looking to do just that, and he said they're not quite sure what they're going to call it, but he wants yeah. to do some equivalent of, say, uh, a Yeovil village or Glover's village or something, and he wants a band area to play, and he wants people to be there hours before the game, hours yeah. after the game, and yeah. just stuff like that, like you touched on, is going to make all the difference. Yeah, it does. It, it just makes it a whole, a whole experience. And then if the game hasn't been fantastic, you know, there's still other things going on and you could have enjoyed your experience of the day, not just rock up five minutes before a game and, and go 10 minutes before, depending on the score. Yeah. Like America, isn't it? If you go to an American sporting event, they have trailer parties like two hours before the game starts. Yeah. The, the whole thing yeah. is a family day out. It's not. Yeah. And I Barbecues think that's why... in the car park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's it's the same with lots of places around Europe. You know, stadiums have got restaurants built into them. There's casinos outside. There's all sorts going on, and the sporting event forms part of it. But yeah. you know, most of the Oval fans go to watch Oval play football. But there's so much more you can be doing around it that will bring people in, and that's what they've got to do, isn't it? Because they've got to make money. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, I mentioned to my partner last week i was like how would you fancy getting married at hewish park and she soon shot that down hey dave <laughs> I, I i did i got married on the pitch oh i did I had a marquee on the pitch when i was manager jethro was on on the friday night <laughs> we got married on the saturday and i'm still not sure which was the funniest <laughs> and mrs rutter was very happy with it um, she was delighted at the time, yeah. No, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a, no, it was nice. I mean, it was a different, wasn't like exactly what we'd planned in advance, but it's just the way it felt. Um, but yeah, we actually got married on the pitch. Oh, she's here staring at me now. <laughs> We're still together, so it must have been okay. I was going to say, there you go. I Matthew, always ask this thing. It might happen. What, what, what was your first dance song? The Bangles, Eternal Flame. Ah. Oh, ah, there Crash you go. Hey, Tom, put me right on the spot then, mate. She was standing at the door listening. <laughs> I was going to say, I never get it. I, I always ask couples that when they're married. When we're on holiday, we meet younger or older couples. I always ask that question. Some blokes are like, oh, I can't remember, you know. I'm like, <laughs> you not remember that? Tom, that, Tommy, that was only <laughs> because the Oval True hadn't been released by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll tell you the truth. Thorpe bought us a, a, like a, a picture of the tune of Eternal Flame by the Bangles. We've got it up in, the, uh, in one of the rooms in the house. So um, that's why I can remember it. Anyway, I'll move on. Good job you got that one right. I'll move on for everybody's sake, and particularly mine, because I've not even asked her to marry me yet. So we'll just, yeah, we'll move on. And mine, because I can't (laughs) even remember mine either. (laughs) Um, AD, last one on Yeovil. Quick shout out to um, the legend himself, Mr. Skiverton, because it is his birthday today. Yeah. yeah, apparently so. So uh, I'm sure he'll be listening. Absolutely bound to be. So happy birthday, Tell. 
Make you have a good one. Happy birthday, Skibo. So, so looking at looking at the other topics, we are in that point of the season now where it is getting a little bit scarce. But uh, Tom and Steve, whilst you boys are on the um, pod, I just wanted to direct a question to yourselves, and it's about um, youth level um, of international football because England are in the under twenty ones tournament at the moment, and they've got two wins from two. Um, Steve, I'll start with you. Are we at a point now in football where the youth teams at international level maybe don't quite have the significance as it once did, if indeed it ever did? Because players are getting into the squads, like getting a full cap quite early on these days because there's different rules and they want to be able to sort of get them capped quickly so that they can stick to that country. Look at Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, who had youth caps at Ireland and then they switched to England. Just how important do you think these tournaments still are? Um, well, statistics would tell you they're massively important because the more international youth experience teams have spread across the squad when they get to senior level, the more successful they tend to be at senior level. Um, so there is nothing like the experience of playing in these international youth tournaments, going away with your country. As we said earlier, it's a different sort of pressure. You know, Playing for your country is a different sort of pressure from playing for your club. So um, it is important. I mean, our last game, ironically, is against the Germans, isn't it? We've already qualified and finished top of the group. Um, and if they're, having a German, bit, they're having a bit of a tough time, aren't they? They're having another tough time, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they've got to beat us and hope that the, uh, the Israelis beat the Czech Republic in order to throw any chance of going through. So, But statistically, history would show you that sides, when they get to the World Cups at senior level, if they've got a really good spread of caps at youth level between the squad, statistically they're more successful at the higher level. Concur, Tommy? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, I've been paying a bit of interest. I haven't watched any of the games yet, but I have been watching uh, the results and, and, and things like that. And um, yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you look, you know, people like Foden could be in it um, and probably a few others in England, Saka. There's a few that could be in it, but obviously they wouldn't be because of what they're doing. But it's also good for players like ML Smith-Rowe. You know, he missed most of the season, didn't he? So, you know, you'd think come the start of the season, some of the lads who are playing in this tournament will be tip-top shape. I know they'll probably have to manage their rest, but, um, yeah, when you look at our squad, uh, it's, it's a decent team, um, you know. Will, will, it be a, will it be a stepping stone for, for the actual senior team? Because, like, you've just mentioned some players there that you could argue that those players that are in the under-21s are there because they're not likely to get a full international cap anytime soon. Yeah, it's a strange one because I think Argentina have got, like, that Garnacho's playing, isn't he? So, uh, uh, Man United, he's been playing the Argentinian under-21s team and you look at it and you think well there's definitely a few that we could put in there if we were trying to you know win the tournament as such um, but I suppose it's weighing it up of you know do those players need to be involved at this stage or are they in, going to be in most of the um, first team squads national squads so therefore there's no point putting them through a tournament um, I think we tried to do that before didn't we Rick it might have been a few it would have been a few years ago now but I seem to remember the likes of Harry Kane playing when he had um senior caps at that point and we stuck them all in the under 21s I think Gareth Southgate was actually the manager but then we didn't really get anywhere in the tournament and that might just be because it is an under 21 one where the more senior players might not actually take it that seriously no if you've played at a higher level it's almost a step down isn't it to go and play for the under 21s if you consider yourself to be a a full international, but uh, it's, it's nice to see the age groups coming through because these will be the under 21s 
the majority of that squad will be from the under-17s that won the World Cup a little while back. So if they haven't already been capped at full level, then at least they're progressing through the age groups. And potentially, you know, you can't have too much strength in depth. So, it's, no, it's good experience, definitely. It's also it's also a bit of a kick in the teeth for those that have sort of qualified or, or got you into it, that they've played all those games and then you bring yeah. in, you know, players from the first-team squad to, to play in the tournament when they didn't, they weren't the ones that got you there, I suppose. What about you, Aid? How do you how do you well, feel I'll, about it in I'll terms just... of, if from a fan's perspective, would you just be annoyed <clears> that if some of your players for Man United, say, were involved in this tournament and you think, oh, I'd rather you weren't playing and sort of have a bit of a rest and no chance of any injuries? Well, well, obviously, I, I, you know, my, my um, passion for Man United would be such that I would, I would want what was right for them first. However, having said that, if, if I was some of the players, and you, you, you often see it in, in the League Cup in particular, where um, teams will pick... Um, especially goalkeepers, but but others as well, uh, to play in the earlier rounds, and then they get to the semi-final and final, and they're dumped for uh, the first team keeper or whatever to come into the team. So mm. I, I don't, I you know, I I don't think they should be treated like that. If you're going to stick to them, then stick to them and and don't muck them about. Really, um, I, I think you know you should you're giving them that up that that lift up the ladder, and they're thinking, oh gosh, you know, I've, I've I'm making progress here, and then as soon as it gets to the to the business end of the competition, they get they get dropped again. So you know, that's that's my feeling on it. And in terms of treating it a little bit like friendly, or possibly depending on your your stance on it, Ada, I want want to just touch on a point that you mentioned last week about the Club World Cup announcement because um, it has now been announced that it will be in 2025 and held in America because there's no confederations cup anymore um steve i guess the issue here is that for elite level clubs none of these players are actually going to get a break at any point and as much as they try and jazz it up and make it a 32 team tournament is anyone actually going to be able to take it seriously trying to win a tournament between the months of june and july we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago didn't we that Every single entity, whether it's FIFA or UEFA or the Premier League or the clubs themselves, are just trying to squeeze more and more games into an already over-congested calendar. Um, now, I, th- I think you'll you'll get to the point where sides might take it seriously if they get to the quarterfinals or the semi-finals. But I mean, other than that, I think sides will just take you know they'll look at what they've got, they'll look at the, the workload that players have had. And then they'll choose whether or not they're going to support the competition in its entirety or they're going to take mixed squads. It's the only yeah. way this is going to stop is if the players go, no, not at all. We're, yeah, we're not doing another tournament in the only summer that we actually do get off in however long. Because like we were spoke, speaking the other week about pre-seasons, I'm not even sure how important pre-seasons are anymore because you only get about three weeks off. Yeah. It just it seems But if they're ridiculous. under contract, Dave, it's difficult for them to turn around and say, hang on a minute, um, you know, well, this, quite. Is, this is too strong because, as I say, they're under contract and they'd be in breach of contract then, wouldn't they? But I mean, Well, unless they're, unless they're injured, Dave. And well, the reality yes, is, yeah. if you keep, you know, you can't, flog a dead horse can you if you keep no, just cramming no. game after game and it's not just the game I mean Tom will tell you as well the travelling yeah 
Yeah, travelling's a lot. You know, it? forget. You know, we're not talking about getting on a coach from Yeovil to Newcastle. We're talking about getting on a plane and flying to Los Angeles, and then probably flying from Los Angeles to Houston, and then Houston to New York, and then back to England, and then over to Thailand or somewhere for a sponsorship with your club, and then back to England, and then the coach is supposed to get you to perform on the yeah. Saturday. It's just madness. You, think- you know, all the sports scientists will tell you about the loading from the travelling and the time lag and all that sort of stuff. It's ridiculous. Wait. When you think people go on holiday and they think it takes them four or five days to go over a bit of jet lag and then yeah, you're absolutely. asking footballers to, you know, jet around the world, play football to a high standard and, and be fun with it. Tom, as, a, as an ex-player though, um, you know, football generally, um, the season finishes around the beginning of May, doesn't it, as, as a rule, give or take. Yeah. Now, so that in theory, they come back again then on the 1st of July, roughly. So you're looking at two clear months. Now, as a footballer who's been playing a whole season, you know, how do you feel? Do you feel you want that complete two months, or do you find you're getting a bit bored by the time you get to the second month? I mean, how do you? How does that um, affect you? Yeah, you, you're you're very much looking forward to it come the end of it. But if it, going back to when you know I was sort of pre-seasoning and around that era, say say around um, 2000, 2003, four. Um, You'd start running yourself. You'd probably only have like two weeks off of nothing. Um, and that would probably be when you're on holiday. And then you'd, you'd slowly start ramping up yourself then anyway. And you, you aim to come back to pre-season kind of ready ready for a pre-season. Do you know what are I mean? You allow- so not- are you allowed to eat really well, for want of a better term, in that time as well? Or is there honest, restrictions on it? it in the, when I was playing, there was, there, nothing was ever said. You were, just, you were obviously weighed and expected to come in somewhere around your weight. Um, for pre-season um, you know there was nothing was said I mean I remember one time uh, being at Tamworth um, I, I, I honestly can't remember if it was the day before or after the game and um, I think I got myself a can of coke and a, and a magnum isolate and Gary <laughs> Gary Johnson just looked at me and went what are you doing I went oh I love it and I just wanted the energy I don't know you, you, you have um, things that you do um, not necessarily superstitions but things that you know become your way like and that was my way I, I used to I used to love a magnum um you know so um, different players have different things well, um, before every game in the dressing room no, I, I, again, I'm, I'm being honest now I, I can't remember if it was a Friday on the way up to a game or if we had stopped on the way back um it, it was probably on the way back to be honest so not I, in the dressing room then just no, before we had to no, go no, out no, 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 <laughs> was that no, after no. the chips or before the chips yeah <laughs> no, in fairness, I was always beans on toast uh, every every pre-game, three hours before kickoff, beans on toast without fail, and pasta before the game, night before the game without fail. Um, so there was things that, but other players like different things, you know. So some people, you know, would have fish or, or uh, chicken and beans or, or whatever. But again, it, it changes. It, it, it science the science of football changes all the time. Um, like I said, you know, when when I first joined Yeovil and uh, Tony Pennock. Uh, era and we had um, Norman Hayward used to come in with like 40 50 quid if we won the game, give it to Warren Patmore and, and straight to the bar with it um, on a Tuesday night game, you know. And we'd have maybe a couple of points, we might even go out to Le Jardin at the time for those that are listening and remember it. You know, we might even go down on Tuesday night and then we'd have Wednesday off, come in training Thursday, Friday, game Saturday. But um, then I bet you if somebody was listening to this conversation. That was that was one of the people that actually organises all these pre-season games and what have you. He'd be saying, "Well, there you go. Look, you know, two two weeks and you're getting bored." Then, so so that they would probably throw that up as a, a counter argument. You know, what about the being bored? 
Yeah, and, and the fact that you've had no, not, two not, weeks of doing nothing, you know. Months, yeah, the two months you'd be hundred percent you'd be bored and itching, itching to get back. But you know, it's nice to have a few weeks off uh, for certain because obviously that's the only time footballers get to go on holiday. You know, is is yeah. in that period. Um, you know, I always used to say that to people. I said. You don't celebrate birthdays or, or yeah. anniversaries or none of that. It just doesn't exist. You know, people, I got friends who are like, oh, don't you take your birthday off? Like, mate, I've never took a birthday off in my life. You know, it's, it's just, you just can't Tommy, do is it. Tommy, it, is, it, is it more about the mental side of things? Because obviously you've got that pressure to be, you know, at the, at the top level all the time. But if anything, it's just trying to switch off from that more than anything. Or, although that might be more difficult to do. Yeah, again, I I didn't struggle with that, you know. So I don't I don't now in life. So it's not like it's not because I was a footballer I struggled sure. or didn't, you know. I think it's sometimes the the person you are or your makeup within yourself, um, and the fact that you're a footballer probably highlights it. But I didn't struggle with switching off, and I I don't now. Um, you know, I sleep solidly near enough every single night. Once I finish work, uh, you know, within reason, that's it. I forget about it till the next day unless I get an email or a phone call. But that's me as a person. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to have some footballers that, you know, can't think about nothing else. But again, the more you deteriorate, the more work you've got to do to get back to your full level of fitness. So, you know, most footballers like to tick over minimum, whether that's cycling or a couple of jogs or whatever, you know. I, I was telling my son recently, I, I've been on holiday in, in June, middle of June, you know, running every night on holiday and then diving in the swimming pool, doing like 10 or 15 lengths to cool down and, and then having like four or five beers on the night. Um, but again, we're all different, you know, it depends on the person and, and how fit you are. You know, people would deteriorate at different levels. You know, some people can have three weeks off and not be a million miles away, some three weeks off and they're struggling to, to do 10 laps. What was your routine like, Rick? You know, especially darts and that. It's a difficult game and a lot of energy expanded, isn't it? Darts. I, I can keep the darts going 52 weeks of the year, generally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just about this 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 tournament this world club nonsense is there any demand for it from anyone other than fifa wanting to make a few quid i don't think there is i don't think anyone's banging down i think the door it's about. i think it's only the fans that are in those areas that these tournaments yeah. go to and then even then it's just a case that they're you know it's no different from their perspective if they're there from a pre-season tournament or it's this. a load of red it's just making money and it's Football's going to eat itself if it's not careful. Won't surprise you to know, Rick, as well, that earlier on, Mr. Infantino announced that the tournament in its current structure will be played in Saudi Arabia next summer. Isn't that good for the future of the game? Well done. Saudi Arabia in the summer. Well, obviously... Ah, yeah, no, sorry, I've got that wrong, haven't they? They do it in the winter, don't they? Not that it'll probably make any difference, but yeah, it's no surprise the location. Well, no doubt it'll do a wonder for white trainers anyway, because Mr. Infantino will be over there with his suit on and his white trainers. So, you know, there's always somebody's going to benefit from it. Don't Sorry, you, Age, your, your, your voice went a little bit robotic yeah. there. I think you're having a few internet issues, but we could oh. just about hear what you said about Infantino and his white trainers. Yeah, good. I think that's, that's what you said anyway. Yeah, I did. I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, Carry on. I will move on to some transfer talk. Rick, I'll bring you back in because... I want to know your thoughts on the Mason Mount situation because I can't work out who's at fault here because it's taken three attempts so far and there doesn't seem to be that much money in between what Man United are prepared to pay and what Chelsea are willing to accept. So 
who's in the wrong here from your point of view? Chelsea. Surprisingly, it's it's. Do you know who's in, who's in, who is genuinely in the wrong? Ed Woodward, <laughs> because he's an idiot. There is a premium on selling players to Man United that came in when he was chairman, and he would pay stupid money for stupid players. And it has been referred to as the Man United tax. And, um, yeah, it's a ridiculous situation. And fair play to the club if they walk away from this one and say, no, we're not prepared to pay that. There's our offer, which is still on the table. And uh, take it or leave it. Because they're too ridiculous. busy selling all their players to Saudi Arabia, aren't they? Saudi Arabia or Manchester City for £20 million yeah. when they could Then they'll sell another player to United for 60. It's interesting. It's about about time United actually got some value out of the market and and were prepared to walk away from being taxed It's interesting that City City have have, uh, done a deal for Kovacic or it looks like they're going to do anyway uh, for only 30 odd million. Making it less sense than normally. Yeah. I mean, it's gone all robot if you can. I, I don't know. It says my internet cable connection is is unstable, so that might be why you're getting problems. 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, 80, stop because we cannot hear anything that you're saying, and it's sounding <laughs> very, it's sounding very robotic. Is it? I'll stop then. That's possibly it, but um, yeah, Dave, it's it's a ridiculous situation. <laughs> The worst thing from United's point of view, the best thing that could happen would be he's got a year left on his contract. He wants to come to United. Doesn't want to sign a new contract with Chelsea. Would be to let him see out his uh, contract at Chelsea and then pick him up on a free next summer. But I see that Bayern Munich, Dominic Tickles sniffing around again. So that might put the kibosh on that one. But from a United point of view, I know Ian loves to hear about Manchester United. Um it's, it's about time they put the foot down and said we're not prepared to pay a premium just because... Are you surprised, the Rick, that they're, they're being so insistent with coming back in with Mason Mount? Because you'll know better than me, but it doesn't seem like an area that you are desperate for compared to other areas of the team, but it's the one that they're going for at the moment with the most openness, I guess. I um, but it just seems to that. be... A lot of that has to do with the way Christian Eriksen came back from his injury. And he didn't have the legs at all when he came back from that injury he had in January. And it's just upped the need for, if you like, a number eight. Um, Brought it to the forefront more than than ever because he did fade towards the the latter half of games towards the end of the season. So I just think they want some fresh legs in there of a higher quality than Fred and McTominay. So... That, presumably, I would imagine, is why they're going after Mount. And he's, without wanting to to bump him up too much, he is in a similar sort of vein to Frankie de Jong as a midfield ball carrier and transitional player. So I can can see the sense in it, to be honest with you. Can you hear me, Aid? I just want to check your sound quality. I can hear you. Excellent. Unfortunately, now your picture is frozen and I cannot see how many minutes you're flagging me down for. Five. But uh, Five. Perfect. Um, so I want to talk about, uh, who else have we got? Declan Rice, because it looks like that there's going to be a battle now with Manchester City. But 
Steve, I'll come to you. If if um, Declan Rice decides to go to Manchester City, um, mm. it's not going to be any more good news for the rest of the league, is it? No, no, not really. Um, do they really need him? I, I, I don't know. Um, obviously not as enamoured with Phillips as they thought they were going to be. Um, I get the impression he might end up going to Arsenal, but if he goes to Manchester City, then obviously it just uh, it's just a nail in the coffin, really, isn't it, for the rest of the for the rest of the league? Um, if he is as good, or if he's going to turn out to be as good as everybody says he's going to be, um, do you then, rate him? Yeah, listen, I don't. I probably don't see enough of them, and it'd be churlish of me to say um, I don't rate him. He, he's obviously doing okay. He's impressing the people that matter. Do I think he's a world class player? No, but then do you get you know what's a world class player cost you now? Hundred million seems to be the going rate, and it's sixty five, seventy, eighty, a hundred million. Enzo Fernandez is a hundred and five million. Declan Rice is a hundred million. What do you think, Tommy? Are you a fan? I do, I do like Declan Rice. I, I haven't seen him tons, but I have seen him live twice, um, and he's a, he's a size as well. Do you know what I mean? So he's, he gets around the pitch. He's, he's big. He can control the ball. I think Graham Souness says has said about him, and he recently been a bit critical of his sort of intricate passing in and around yeah. the penalty box and things like that. Which I can agree with. In fairness, you can't, you can't argue with that. Uh, but that isn't to say that you know if he was a Man City with. David Silva and, and um, sorry, um, um, Mares. If he stays, Gundogan, or he's gone. Uh, De Bruyne, Haaland, Foden, Palmer, Grealish, people like that. That um, that they wouldn't bring that out in him um, if he was given a leeway to go up forward. But yeah, I do like him. Um, I agree with what Steve's saying. I mean, you know, if you picked a World Eleven, he wouldn't be in it. Um, but you know, for me, if he goes to Man City. You know, he's what assurances he's going to play and in front of Rodri at the moment when he's been there for a while. I'm just not sure how it's going to fit. Um, it'd be more interesting if he goes to Arsenal, which I think is is looking more likely. It's not good um, news for Calvin Phillips, is it, either way? No, no. Well, again, he needs to go, doesn't he? But um, hopefully it'll drive the price up for both clubs anyway. Um, and maybe that is part of what's going on here anyway. Um, but, you know, the more they spend, the better. So I think is it Arteta's got 300 million to spend. Is that right? Is that what I read today? So they won't finish that. Um, Aid, just before we do finish, if you can hear me, you did want to touch on the fact that um, Craig Brown, it was announced, passed away earlier today. Of course, he was the Scotland manager at the last World Cup. Yeah, lovely man. Always, always came over well, I thought. And, you know, quite clearly knew what he was doing. He's been in football for a long, long time. You know, done an awful lot for Rangers as well. And of course, Scotland lost another uh, stalwart, really, when, when poor old Gordon McQueen died uh, uh, last week, I think it was. And, uh, you know, again, I can always remember Gordon McQueen always scoring goals with his head. I mean, he was brilliant at heading, heading from corners and what have you. So two great players. And you think back to those days uh, when Scotland were, you know, a lot stronger. Um, just, just about, mate, just about. Go on. Um, you know, I'm just thinking back to the days when Scotland had a bit of a team. You know, Kenny Dalgleish, Dennis Law, Gordon McQueen, Jim Baxter, some great names. And, you know, uh, Craig Brown was an, an intricate part of all those names. Archie Gemmell. Archie Gemmell. <laughs> OK, Aidy, I'm going to stop you there. But looking at the time, I think we, uh, we need to wrap this podcast up anyway. So... Um, 
Rick, thank you very much for joining us, mate. No problem, Dave. Uh, Tommy, thank you very much as always. Cheers, mate. Thank you all. Cheers, fellas. Steve, three in a row. Well done, mate. Good, mate. See you soon. And AD, if you can hear us, see if you can sign us off. I can hear you, and all I can say is football bloody hell. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.